Let me begin back at verse 4. Those who had been scattered by, the, by persecution that was happening preached the word wherever they went. And Philip, who is the main, one of the main preachers of this particular passage, he's one of the seven, went down to a city in Samaria, very significant, we talked about, and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Uh, and we talked about that we didn't know for sure whether this is witchcraft, black magic, demonic stuff, or if it's just trickery. We don't know what he was doing exactly, uh, uh, what, how, he was, how he was impressing the people with amazing uh, feats that he was doing, some kind of magic and sorcery he was involved in. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, as they earlier mentioned that they, later they gave Philip attention. They gave him their attention and they exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. And we don't really know exactly what that means. Um, but obviously they had great respect for him. And he was sort of the leader of their religious movement there. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. So this is saying that Simon uh, professed the faith that he believed and he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So whatever Simon was doing, Philip was doing more amazing things. Um, and, he's, and, and Simon is amazed, even though he'd been amazing other people, he's now amazed by what Philip is doing. And here's the, the few verses that we got into a few weeks ago in more depth. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So Peter and John and the rest of the apostles were still down in Jerusalem. They were sent north up to Samaria to see this thing that was happening, that Samaritans were converting to Christ, believing in Christ, being baptized. When they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the debate, the seven different things was what is going on there. How is it possible that someone could have believed and yet not have the Spirit? What would Peter and John, why would they, how could you get believe and be baptized and not have the Spirit and then Peter and John lay hands on you and you be baptized? There's all sorts of different opinions about that. <clears throat> I proposed that uh, with Calvin and some others, I proposed that probably the best solution is that, um, that they did have the Spirit. They had truly believed. They had received the Spirit at, at faith when they came to faith and when they'd been baptized. 
but that this is this is this receiving of the Holy Spirit is more of this outward appearance of the appearance of the of the receiving of the Spirit, so that there were sort of outward manifestations to show that they were to show people that they had been empowered by the Spirit, whether it was speaking in tongues, whether it was extreme uh, experiences of, of joy, you know, and ecstasy, whether it was prophecy, whether it was um, tongues of fire, you know, whatever it was, some kind of manifestation that when Peter and John laid their hands on, they could see. Because remember, it says Simon saw that they had received the Spirit. He saw something. I mean, maybe it was just that they were so ecstatic and they were weeping and they were falling down. Maybe it was just that. But, but possibly it was something more than that. It was, actually, it was actually tongues or prophecy or physical manifestations or, or something else. So, um, so I, I argued that it's probably, in my, my thinking, re- looking at all the different ones, it's probably that's what's going on, that this is... This is um, that they did have the Spirit. They were real believers. They really had been regenerated. They really did have the Spirit, but now they were receiving this powerful manifestation of the Spirit. But some do believe that God just did something unique this one time, and that, of course, they had to have the Spirit to a degree in order to have faith. You can't believe without the work of the Spirit. But that they hadn't received the full gifting of the Spirit that someone, when someone comes to faith and repents, they had not received that yet, only because God was, God was pressing pause on them because he wanted to confirm, he wanted that to be confirmed when the apostles were there, so that for the same reason as my argument, so that the whole world would know these are true Christians. They really do have the Spirit. They, even though they're Samaritans, even though it's only been among Jews so far, that, that these Samaritans, these hated Samaritans, are our brothers and sisters. They have the Holy Spirit too. They are part of the same church. And Peter and John, the apostles, were there, and they gave it the thumbs up. This is excellent. This is good. They are part of the church. So, they, it, so God could have paused it in order so for Peter and John to be present so that, so that everyone would know this is good stuff. This isn't just Philip flying off and doing something crazy. This is Peter and John also confirming this. So whichever one it is, um, let me ask two questions. Uh, so we have this story. It's definitely a strange story. It's definitely a unique story, but let's get back to, let's get back to basics. And let me ask you two questions. The first one is, how do, um, or, uh, how do human beings receive the Holy Spirit? We have this passage before us, which gives us an example of the way these guys either receive the Spirit the first time or receive some kind of outward manifestation. But let's go back to basics and go back to what does the rest of the Bible tell us? How do human beings receive the Holy Spirit? Do you do you find an apostle and get him to lay hands on you? Or if you're not having an apostle, do you find a bishop? Or not finding a bishop, do you find a, uh, some kind of pastor who has some kind of major giftings? How do, you, how do you get the Holy Spirit? How does a human being get the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Okay, you pray for it. You pray for him. Um, but, okay, I'm talking about how do you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you don't have him at all. I mean, not, not the power, empowering thing. That will be my next question. But just receive, but that's, so we'll, we'll hold on to that. I'm talking about you don't have the Spirit one, on a Tuesday morning. How do you, by, by that evening, have the Holy Spirit within you? Okay, uh, uh, somebody preaching the word to you. Okay, and then how, and how, and how do you respond to that? Just hearing the word isn't enough, so what, how do you respond? Okay. 
Yeah, in your heart you, you believe, right? That's the, it's something that happens inside, definitely. It's in your heart. Um, I mean, so you, 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 but you're exactly right. It's the word. It's a response to the word of God. And you're right. It's in your heart. Um, and uh, remember, do you remember what Peter told them? Peter actually, there's a, there's a key verse in Acts chapter 2. Peter actually said, you want, uh, this is how you get the Holy Spirit. You remember what he said? Yep. That's right. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Other places it might say, it also might include believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, believe, but believing, repenting, being baptized, this is how you receive the Holy Spirit. You don't, don't this story isn't supposed to teach us something else. Like, well, you got to have apostles there or you got to have bishops there or you got to have, you know, like I said, some traditions have taken it to mean that you, that that's actually true. You have to have a bishop um, in order to get the Holy Spirit, you have to have be, and they've added oil as well. You have to be anointed by a sacred oil and a bishop in the line of the of, of the uh, uh, of the apostles and the apostolic line. A, a true bishop has to um, has to lay his hands on you and for in order for you to have and, and give you the sacred oil in order for you to have the Holy Spirit. But that's not what most of the New Testament says, and it's 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 a lot to build, I think, on one particular text here that that's the way you do things. Um, like I said, the Orthodox, they, they do that to little babies. And uh, Catholics wait until you're seven or eight years old, a little bit older. But, um, but, you, but receiving the Holy Spirit is a matter of... And of course, even when you've, and when you've believed the gospel, and it says you received the Holy Spirit, but you already know the Holy Spirit is working already. The fact that you're hearing the Word and believing the Word shows the Spirit's working in you already. The fact that you're responding to that Word and believing it but then when you believe and when, you, and when you're baptized and when you repent, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is part of your life. So don't let this story dis, you know, dissuade you from that. The rest of the New Testament makes it pretty clear that this is the way it is. So, so let me, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and because, because of that, because of that, uh, you know, I've heard, heard a lot of different the, theories and theologies and doctrines about being saved. But uh, the best explanation that I ever heard actually goes back to uh, Mr. Baxter, uh, Puritan. Yes, they're, 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 they're of a piece. Right. Right. And the fact that we don't know what's really going on for sure, absolute certain, like I said, J.I. Packer said, I think this is the best guess. When he gave his interpretation, he said, I think this is the best guess of what's happening here. Um, uh, is just, it just shows that it's a difficult passage. But we, and we're not supposed to take that passage and... Uh, build our way of doing things on something like that. Um, we're not exactly sure what's going on there. It could be what I said. It could be another thing. I'm pretty sure it's not bishops anointing you with oil. I'm pretty confident of that one. But it could be some of, of these. Uh, it, 
a different of these other options that I laid out last time. Um, so, and then what David said earlier, my second question, and we'll move on, is just how do ordinary Christians who are already Christians already have the Spirit? How do you receive the empowerment of the Spirit? And as David said, prayer, you pray for the Lord's, for that, but you maybe get other brothers and sisters to pray for you too. Doesn't mean you necessarily need a bishop to lay hands on you. Nothing wrong with someone laying hands on you when they pray for you, and nothing wrong with people gathering around you and praying for you and, and asking for a prayer. That's a great thing to do, wonderful thing to do. But, and maybe that is, but maybe that is something that we should think about more, um, but, it is, uh, but it is something that is accomplished by, by prayer and, seeking the, and also using the means of grace, communion, the Bible, and all those other things. Yeah. Yeah, James tells us to, if someone's sick, to come anoint him with oil and, and pray for him. And uh, it actually doesn't say laying out of hands there, though it wouldn't be wrong to do that. And we often do that when we're praying for people who are sick. But, um, but yeah, it is, it is, that's, some, that's, a, that's something that uh, is, a, is a part of our of the way we run the church and the way we do things. Pray for people who are sick <clears throat> or struggling with sin or something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lay on, laying out of hands. And that's something, laying out of hands is referred to in, 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 in ordaining or, or setting up someone on a, on a task, a, a pastoral work or a ministry or a mission or something like that. Okay. Um, let me read on. When, uh, when Simon saw that, verse 18, if you forgot where we were, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, remember how powerful he'd been with the magic he'd been doing before? He sort of somehow wants to continue that. I want to continue to have power and be able to do this new magic, which is even greater than the magic I used to do. I want to be able to do this new magic. Um, and I'm sure he benefited from it, not only monetarily, but by his power as well and getting attention and fame for himself. He got fame, he got money, he got power from this. So he wants to, he wants to continue that. Um, so he offers them money. Uh, he offered them money and he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so... Um, we see this here, and this, this account right here became the, the, the way a sin that was declared in the church and was and taught for generations that there's a sin, um, and the sin comes right out of this guy's name, and the sin is simony. Some pronounce it differently, but I pronounce it simony. Um, and um, simony is this sin of trying to buy... Um, office in the church because there was so much power connected with, as the church got more powerful, you would try to get an office in the church by giving enough money uh, to the right person or the right people to get that office. You could also, simony was also sometimes applied to just trying to get <clears throat> spiritual benefits by giving money to the right people in the church or the right, uh, the right ones in the church, getting, um, some of it, some have even called, um, 
you know, indulgences and things like that, simony, but whatever, it, whatever, it usually refers to giving money to try to purchase things, uh, benefits, graces, blessings, but usually it's used to refer to getting church office or getting some kind of position that would benefit you if you had this position in the church. Uh, and this was, of course, in the context of the church being really, really powerful. So this, this one little account here of Simon um, becomes a major, the, he, his name gets put on this, this sin, which became, which, which was a really big sin in church history. This happened all the time. Um, and so it's associated with um, the rich trying to control the church, you know, the rich trying to, or get their way in the church by, uh, if they want this position, if they just give, give money here or give money to this person or that person, they can get, uh, uh, control of, you know, at least part, this portion of the church, or even if they've done some terrible sin, if they give enough money, they can be forgiven of it, or they can be blessed somehow, you know, or something like that. Um, so uh, simony is, is that's, that's, that's where this, that comes from, from this account of this man. Um, and so let me ask a question. Um, can you actually uh, buy something from God? Can you give money in some way to the right person in his church or somehow can you get money to God to get something from God? Is that, is that a possibility? Is that something that can happen? Is it something that there's some way you could do that if you could give the money to the right place or the right, that you could purchase something? <laughs> He, he, uh, he alluded to televangelists. Um, uh, you know, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see people talk, almost talk this way sometimes. Of course, in the Catholic Church, it, 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 got, it, it sort of faded into this at different periods of time in the, in the Catholic Church. Um, and thought, anybody have, I, I see a lot of heads going no, so I don't think anybody thinks you can. Uh, Justin thinks you can. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Oh, you mean it, you mean it, it, you actually do get advantages in the church. Yeah, sure. Yeah. At a practical level. But from God you can't buy anything. Right. But in the church sometimes, yeah, you can make things happen. Um, you know, I, 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 can, I can remember the accusation being leveled one time against a, a prominent Presbyterian church and saying, why are all the people on the session the wealthiest businessmen in the church? Is that, is that fading into simony? Is that fade? Is, is it, 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 it could be that they happen to be the most spiritual and the most theologically astute. Could be. Most, the most gifted, the most, but it also could be a little bit of something that looks a little bit like simony, where money's controlling the church because the people with the most, money and the most power and money in the secular world are also the people with the most money and power in the church. It's something to, to look out for. It's something to be nervous about. It's something, and it's, and it's something like televangelists. It's something to watch out for. What are you, when you're asking for money, and you're attaching religion to it and attaching church to it, even if it's for a building program, be real careful with that. Be real careful with that stuff. It's, what, what are you saying to people? Are you saying that they're, 
that something's going to, they're going to be blessed somehow if they give to this building program or they're, some, they're doing something really for, for God. I mean, giving money can be for God. You know, when you help somebody with money, when you help ministries and evangelism and help the poor with your money, you are serving God in that way. Uh, no doubt about that. That is giving money to God. You know, if the Bible ever talks about giving money to God, it's in the way it talks about when you give money to the poor, you're giving money to God, you know, like a Proverbs talks or, or that. Um, What's that? But it's not a purchase. No, you're not getting anything. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not, uh, um, it's not benefiting you. It's, it's a benefiting them. Um, so anyway, I just stop on that for a minute to hear the Simon. You're about to, I, I, I didn't read where Peter goes off on Simon, which he's about to. Uh, he's about to get really, I'm, he's about to get pretty ugly. Peter, is it Peter? No, it's, uh, yeah, Peter. Um, so uh, let's read on and see, and see what Peter says in response. <clears throat> oh, before I say that, um, uh, he's basically asking for Peter to, he's basically g- trying to give Peter money to ask him to make me an apostle, you know, make me an apostle. Um, so let's pause for one second. Question, how do you become an apostle? Real quick. Yeah, we will. And, and more than that, yeah, you got to know Jesus. And more than that, what? You've got to be picked by Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who tells you you're an apostle. You don't buy it or, or uh, campaign for it or try to get in on it. You, Jesus has to tell you. Um, and, so it's, and, so, and also the same thing with pastor. How does one become a pastor? You don't buy it. How do you become a bishop or a pastor or an elder? You don't buy it. You, oh, there has to be this inner call that you feel, but also that... Uh, other church leaders recognize as well that you've been called, and then a particular church has to recognize that you've been called. So there's all this going on, the way that God works through these different means to make to someone to be a pastor. It's not something you're, you're supposed to. Simony was when someone said, I, you know, it would be awesome to be the bishop of that city. If I was the bishop of that city, that would be fantastic. Who do I pay to become the bishop? And they would do it. I mean, people became bishops by saying, if I give you this money, will you make it happen? He'd be like, sure, yeah, give me that money. Uh, donate it to my church, and I will make it happen. Next day, you're the bishop. I'm coming to have a ceremony. We're going to ordain you. You're going to be the bishop of this city, and we'll take care of it. Uh, as corrupt as that sounds, it wasn't all that corrupt. Not all bishops were that corrupt, but that kind of thing did happen. Um, and so sometimes there was corruption like that. So what does Peter say about it? Verse 20, Peter answered, uh, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see, Peter says, I see that you are full of bitterness and when we hear the term bitterness, we think like, you're a bitter person, you know, you're a, you're a nasty person. But here this means something like um, the fruit of bitterness is coming out of you, like evil is coming out of you. You are, it's an Old Testament term. Um, uh, the fruit of bitterness is, 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 going to, is you're bearing um, something evil, evil stuff comes forth. And you are captive, and the end it finishes with, and you are captive to sin. So that is a pretty... Strong denouncement um, here that he makes on Simon. Um, 
And so let me ask this question of you. Is Simon a member of the church? Make sure to hear the question I asked you. Is Simon a member of the church? Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a member of the church, yes. He's a member of the, to use a Reformed language, he's a member of which church? The, the, he's a member of the visible church, yes, the, the church that we can see. Is he a member of the invisible church? And what do we mean by that? We mean he is a true believer. He really is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he really is repentant and full of faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, is he a member of the invisible church? It said Simon believed, yeah, yeah, it said Simon believed. And so, that, and so when it says that, did that mean that he looked like he believed, he claimed to believe, or did it mean he believed in his heart of hearts? Um, this denunciation is very extreme, isn't it? The denunciation that is given of Simon here is a pretty extreme. Does this sound like a believer to you? Um, it doesn't sound like he's following Christ, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Where his heart really at is getting power and money, it looks like. So obviously the alternates here the alternatives here can be that he is a believer who is so messed up in his thinking and in his and he's so he's filled with so much sin. Um, that he's being denounced, and he, but he's still, he really is truly a believer, just a believer who is, is completely twisted. But he's usually taken in church history, he's usually taken as not a believer. That he is, uh, but, but do we know for, for certain? The text I don't think is quite clear enough. I mean, that denouncement is so strong, it feels to me like Peter's saying, you know, <laughs> you better repent for the first time, buddy. I mean, you have, you, you are... You are twisted. You are twisted. So repent. But hey, we, I mean, Christians can really mess up, right? And so it may be that he just came in with just really, really bad theology, really bad ideas, and, he, and things hanging on from his older life. And so he just does, he makes a really big blunder. Um, so we don't know for sure. We don't, we don't need to know. But um, I, I would tell you that you'll probably find most theologians taking Simon as. Um, as a non-believer, and there's actually a whole tradition about what Simon did later, which, which we don't know if it's true or not, but you may encounter that sometime, that there's a tradition in the early church that Simon stuck around, and he had a whole cult and heresy that he led later that uh, the church had to denounce, so that his sins continued on. But we don't know, that stuff is not exactly, we're not sure if it's authentic or not, so we don't know if that really did happen. Um, but I asked that question about Simon, a member, because I wanted to make the point about the invisible and the invisible church. This guy is a member of the church, no doubt. He is in the, the visible church of God. He is baptized. He has professed faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he has said that he believes. So just to, just, just to remember, a reminder for all of us that the visible church contains people who are not yet members of the invisible church. It means they just haven't yet put their faith uh, in Christ, they haven't yet fully repented. Doesn't mean they're not going to. Just means they haven't done it yet. Um, and but they are members of the visible church, and we can only work with the visible church. You know, we we don't know the invisible. We we don't know. Um, 
we don't know who's, we can't look into everybody's heart and see, right? We base it on profession of faith and on baptism and on, you know, what we call credible professions of faith and on baptism and all that. That's how we decide who's in the church. And we treat people as Christians inside the church. But of course, sometimes they won't be. And then sometimes they'll expose themselves as, as not believers when they act in, in, in ways like this. Um, uh, so let's read on here. Um, uh, to conclude this story and see if we can real quickly take a peek at the other story. Um, then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Once again, he sort of sends us these mixed signals. It sounds good he's asking for prayer, but is this true repentance when he says, oh, 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 oh gosh, I'm in trouble. Please pray that I don't get, that I'm not, that I don't get hurt. It's not, it could be true repentance, but it doesn't look very good to me. It's, you know what this reminds me of? Pharaoh asking Moses to pray for him. <laughs> We know Pharaoh wasn't repentant, and Pharaoh was all the time saying, hey, Moses, this is a mess. Will you pray that this goes away? And Moses would be like, sure, dear Lord, please take this away. And it would go away, and Pharaoh would be like, thanks, Moses, that was nice. Uh, that was really bothering, these gnats were really bothering me, you know. And, and Pharaoh does that again and again, you know. So, um, uh, and, that, and you see that happen other time. You see, the, you see Jeroboam do that too with the man of God. He tells the man of God, uh, the, the man of God denounced, says something bad's going to happen to him, and Jeroboam says, pray for me. And, Jer- and, the, and the man of God does, and then God takes it away based on the man of God's prayer. But Jeroboam himself has not repented. Um, the king Jeroboam hasn't repented. Uh, let me, so, so it doesn't even tell us what happens. Uh, it doesn't tell us uh, uh, what, what happens next. But look at verse 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. Okay, great. They returned to Jerusalem. They're up in Samaria. They've been in this one city where Philip had had an effective ministry, uh, baptized all these people, and started a church there. And Peter and John go check it out, um, lay their hands on the people. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit take place. Now Peter and John are going back to Jerusalem to their home church, the church that they do pastor ordinarily, going back to their home church. But on the way, what do they do? They preach the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So they just head on back and they go to these little villages along the way. Samaritan villages, these people that Jews hated, but Peter has seen through that. John has seen through that. Philip, as Philip had seen through it, now Peter and John see through it. And they are going, stopping in little villages, preaching the gospel. And we're not told how many are believing or who's believing, but no doubt some are believing. Churches are forming, people are getting baptized, and they're preaching the gospel just from village to village as they head back to Jerusalem preaching to these Samaritans, and the gospel is spreading in Samaria. Now, um, this fulfills the prophecy. Somebody made a prophecy about this, uh, about Samaria coming to Christ. Do you know who it was? Jesus himself, yeah, exactly. Jesus said, he prophesied, he said, you're going to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He said it to them, and they didn't do it, until this moment. Been a long, this has been a long time coming. We don't know how long it's been, but now it's happening. God has made the wheel spin, and it's happening now. And this is a big, it, it's hard for us to appreciate what a big jump it is for it to jump into the Samaritan world. Um, now it's about to jump into uh, the, the African 
continent uh, with the very next account. So let's read that. And we, don't have as, we, we may not get to finish it tonight, but at least let's, let's uh, break into it a little bit here. Um, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is the man who was preaching, first preaching in Samaria again, one of the seven. <clears throat> Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So this road, um, you know, if, if you're, Jerusalem's over here, Gaza's way over here, it's to the south uh, and, and to the west uh, na, na, on the coast. Now Gaza is like the old uh, Philistines country. And it's, it's telling them to, to go, uh, it's, it's telling him to head over here to this road that's gonna take you down. It's a road that then goes down um, uh, to the southwest. Um, and, uh, and so it's, a, it's not a place that he would normally go, of course, but the angel of the Lord tells Philip to, to go there. So, so he does. He does, he, he does what he's instructed to do. It seems like strange instructions, no doubt, but he goes. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, um, this is, uh, we know what kingdom this is talking about. We know the city it's talking about. At this time, it was referred to as Ethiopia, but it's not modern-day Ethiopia. Um, this is modern-day Sudan. Um, and it's a city in modern-day Sudan um, where Candace was the queen mother and Candace is actually not her name, but her title. They called the queen mother. And, and their society in, in the Sudan, this is, and this is, by the way, this is black Africans. This is not um, North Africans uh, with lighter skin. This is, this is black Africans, um, like, you know, uh, uh, sub-Saharan Africans, what we, we think of that. This is about two, um, what was the stats on this? It was about, hmm, I better not say, because I can't remember the exact mileage, but it was, Far, far below Egypt um, is, is what we're talking about. And, and, and I forgot where in Sudan it is exactly. But it's, um, this, is, this guy's coming from a very far place away. And we know about the Candace, the, 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 the queen mother in this, in this country. This empire had actually, this uh, kingdom had been very powerful for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was a very rich empire. Um, the queen mother, the, the Candace, also had, she was not the king, but she had authority as well and had power. And they were very prosperous. So this is a, this is a, a man who was in charge of um, a, a lot, qu quite a bit, in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the, of the Ethiopians. Um, this man is also a eunuch. Um, and that's very appropriate for his official status that he worked for these royalty as a eunuch. A eunuch was a man who was castrated, of course. Um, and they did this when men were going to work in these official capacities and they were going to be working with women. Um, you know, it was, that, was the, that was the thinking at that time. So, so someone would be a eunuch because they were going to be working around women. And of course, he's going to be working for the queen mother, Candace. And so a eunuch works for her. Uh, and, but this, guy's, this guy has a lot of power. He's a very wealthy person. Um, or he, he, run, he works with a lot of wealth. And this trip, I mean, why he was allowed to go on this long trip to Jerusalem, would have, this would have taken a long time. But obviously, he was interested in the Jewish God. He's probably what we would call a God-fearer, um, which meant someone who was a Gentile who was very interested in Yahweh, interested in the scriptures of the Old Testament, interested in their God, 
thought it was he thought he was probably the right god and would go to Jerusalem maybe for a festival or or just go to invent looks like maybe when he was there he bought a scroll <laughs> he bought a scroll of Isaiah while he was there perhaps um, invested a lot that would cost a lot of money he purchased this scroll of Isaiah uh, of the Jewish scriptures and he's very interested in the Jewish god he can't be a um, he can't be a convert to Judaism though does anyone know why? There's no way this guy was a convert to Judaism. Uh, in other words, he had become um, a Jew. You know, a Gentile could become a Jew. There was a way for a Gentile to convert to Judaism. He, instead, he wasn't that. He wasn't a, a full conversion. He was a God-fearer, which meant he respected God, but he wasn't a convert. Why do you think he could not be a convert? Moses' law says no eunuch can be a convert. Moses' law said we don't allow eunuchs. Um, and so there's no way he could be, as a eunuch, that he could have even converted. To, he would not have even been allowed to convert to Judaism as, as a eunuch. So um, interesting, um, but he has this interest in God's, in God's uh, word, and, and, and he has this, he's going to be reading Isaiah the prophet. So um, verse 27 at the end. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He'd gone to the temple to worship. Of course, he would have had to have stayed outside in the Gentile court, but he did go to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Remember, at this time, most people read out loud. Um, there were, are some people who didn't, but most people read out loud. If they're reading something they didn't do like we do, sit there quietly and, and stare at the page, they would read it out. Um, and no doubt this was a Greek Old Testament, by the way, because this man no doubt spoke Greek because he's, he's an official. Um, and so this is probably the Septuagint or, or a, Greek, a Greek Old Testament of some kind. Um, so he's in his chariot, and, he can, and if Philip gets close enough, he can hear him reciting Isaiah. He can hear him reading Isaiah out loud. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay, stay near it. So um, it could have been an oxen-pulled chariot and going rather slow. Um, and Philip could roll right up next to it and sort of just stroll along next to him. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And then Philip makes this bold move. And by the way, you may think the guy in the chariot is the, is the low-class guy and Philip's the high-class guy, but it's the reverse that's the rich guy. That's the powerful guy who, who serves a queen mother, serves the Candace of Ethiopia. I mean, that's the powerful guy in the chariot. And so it takes a lot of courage for Philip. I mean, he knows God sent him there, so he knows what he's, that he, he needs to interact here. But it would take a lot of courage to, to speak up and talk to this guy in this chariot who's so powerful. Um, uh, and he does. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. And the guy, I love this. The guy just turns around and says, how can I? <laughs> He's reading it. He wants to understand God's word. He wants to understand the prophecy of Isaiah. He knows Isaiah is one of the most revered prophets of Judaism. He's bought the scroll. He paid the money for this. By the way, the Isaiah scroll must have been a massive thing to, to, to hold on to. I don't even know if you could fit all of Isaiah in one scroll, but maybe you could. Um, and uh, he's reading from the scroll and uh, he says, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? And so he invited Philip. Somehow he senses that Philip has asked this question because Philip can help him out. Philip's obviously a Jew. 
Um, he picks the, he, and maybe he has more knowledge and he can explain some things to us. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the back of the chariot. Meanwhile, this chariot's rolling south towards the Sudan, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, and they're, they're heading south. And, uh, but Philip gets on the, gets on the uh, heading the wrong direction, heading, heading away from his, from his home and his people, heading south in this, in this chariot with this guy. And the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And what is this, of course? Yes, Isaiah 53, just part of Isaiah 53, but no doubt he was reading the whole prophecy from the end of 52 all through 53, the whole oracle. (coughs) And this is, of course, one of the most famous texts in the Old Testament that Christians treasure. This is no doubt. When Jesus, by the way, this story is similar to the story where Jesus uh, catches the guys out in the the countryside and he starts talking to them after, after he's come back from the dead. And he starts to explain to them from the prophets how the, how the Christ must suffer. And no doubt, he quoted to them Isaiah 53. But I, of all the texts to be in God's providence, this man was reading Isaiah 53. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? Let's, let's have a little Bible study here. Let's, let's, let's shake some things out. Who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip no doubt, extremely excited to be asked that question. <laughs> no doubt, extremely excited to hear the text that was being read, first of all, and then for the man just to turn around and say, hey, who's he talking about? Who, who? I mean, imagine that question. Who is he talking about? And who was he talking about? Who was Isaiah talking about? Jesus, yeah, exactly. That's who Isaiah was talking about. Not himself, not the nation of Israel as the servant of God in some general sense, not some other man who suffered for, for God. And, what is the, and by the way, what is the whole Isaiah 53 passage about? I mean, who could summarize it for us uh, in just a few sentences? What is, that, what is that whole text telling us about the Messiah when he comes, about the servant that's referred to there? Yeah, I mean, the gospel, yeah. I mean, it's telling us about Jesus suffering, right? That's the main theme of Isaiah 53, his suffering. You saw that just in this little quote. Um, and, but it doesn't just say that he's going to suffer. What else does it say? Yes, that he suffers for us, that, his, that the, our sins are laid on him. And there's some kind of atonement. There's some kind of suffering on our behalf. That, so if you read the whole text, this is just, uh, like Teresa said, this is the gospel. I mean, this is the gospel in, in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. Um, and so he, and so what does Philip do? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, what better place to begin in the Old Testament, and told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the gospel about Jesus. He laid it out. He said, this man is the Messiah. He's, he's the servant of God. He's the one prophesied by Isaiah and the other prophets and Moses and, Dave, and, 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 and mentioned to David uh, and again and again and again, so many places in the Old Testament. Um, of course, at this point, they just had the Old Testament to work with, and he could refer to scrolls they didn't have by memory, no doubt, and say, and in this place it says this, and in this place it says this, and it's all about this one who just recently has lived among us and died and was raised from the dead, and the sins, our sin, the, his, the sins have been placed on him. 
The sins have been placed on him, and he has died for our forgiveness to, to bring us to God and to reconcile us to God. And he laid that out for this man. And did the man believe the message? Did he say, well, let me think about it. Did he say, you know, let me go home and read up on this. Let me go home and ponder this. I mean, no, as Philip talks to him, he believes the message. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. <laughs> and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? The way he phrases the question. Why shouldn't I be baptized? I believe what you're telling me. I be- and, and by the way, guys, this is a black African this, we, it, we've, we've jumped way beyond, we've jumped way beyond uh, Samaritans now. Samaritan was amazing enough. Now we've jumped suddenly uh, to this black African um, uh, from, a, from hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Uh, it would have taken him months to get to Jerusalem from where he lived. Um, and from, and from another, another king, a powerful kingdom in another part of the world, far south in Africa. Um, <coughs> why shouldn't I be baptized? So let me ask a question real quick there. Um, uh, before, uh, what reasons could be given for not baptizing him? He, he, the way he asked that question, why shouldn't I be baptized? Well, pause for a minute. What reasons could be given for, let's not baptize this guy. Anybody, anybody jump, anything jump to your mind? Yes, yes, we, we weren't there so we don't, see, we don't see that he made a profession of faith, um, although it could have happened and it's not described. But yeah, in the text, it's not there. Um, uh, the fact that he is a um, black African might have crossed Philip's mind. Is this really supposed to happen? Is this really supposed to take place? Am I really supposed to baptize? Do I have the right to baptize this guy from so far away and just send him back home? What's going to happen to him? You know, How's this going to go? Um, you know, the early church, they baptized, the early church uh, had this tradition of catechizing you quite a bit before you got baptized. So it could be say, does he really get it? Does he get enough? Does he understand enough? Oh, another thing is just the fact that he's a eunuch. Jews don't let eunuchs in. Are are Christians going to let eunuchs in? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. And Isaiah prophesied that as well. Do you know that? And And Isaiah himself, he prophesied eunuchs will be a part of the kingdom of God. Eunuchs will be a part of, of, the new, of the new thing God is doing. So it had already been prophesied, so Philip knew his Isaiah, so he probably knew that. Um, but anyway, so you see why. Um, I, I always thought about the fact that the early church in those first few centuries, they really catechized people before they baptized them. They didn't just like, you know, I know we are, we come from a lot of us from American evangelicalism, where we can be pretty quick to baptize, um, but that wasn't really as much the tradition in the early church. Um, so you may think that, um, uh, that, that this was too fast, but um, I think Philip knew that the Lord was in this, and he made the, the call and believed that this man did have an adequate uh, profession of faith, and he did need to be baptized. Um, okay. Um, one other thing I just want to think about, I need to stop because we're, we're, we only got five minutes here, but um, just side comment for a second. Notice how Philip is just following this guy's lead. 
Um, sometimes you are going to encounter, I mean, I bet I, I was going to see if anybody had, could testify tonight about this, but I bet some of you had this experience where you evangelized someone or you shared the gospel with someone and you were really just following their lead. They were already sort of digging in. They were already asking the questions and they were coming to you with the questions or they were conversing about these things and they were bringing things up and you're just sort of, now God, two things happened. First of all, an angel got him there, you know, told him to go there. So that God set that part up pretty nicely. Say, hey, if you stand here, <laughs> someone's gonna come along with all sorts of amazing questions. Um, but God can do that in our life too, right? Um, he could tell us where to go. I mean, I've, I've actually heard, had people tell me that they um, uh, just, I don't, I don't think they would say that they heard a voice, but they had a very strong sensation that they needed to be in a certain place at a certain time and encountered someone that they needed to talk to and they shared the gospel with them and, and that's the way it went. So that kind of thing can happen. But also it's just we need to follow the lead on people. There are people who are asking the questions. There are people in our lives who are curious and trying to learn and are we going to you know, spend the time with them and, and, and listen to them and, and, and tell them what they need to uh, answer the questions that they have and help them. And it may not be baptism four hours later or two hours later or whatever this was, but still you may uh, be part of that chain of helping them get closer and closer into the church and into the, uh, God's family. Um, why do you think God saved this one powerful man from Africa? One very powerful man from hundreds of miles away in Africa. This is an opinion question. We don't know for sure, but why do you think? Okay, yeah, he's powerful. Yeah, so people may give him, he'll have the ear of maybe more people than a common person would. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like sending, you, you, you baptized a man and, and then sent him as a missionary back to, back to the Sudan all in one day. I mean, he, and, 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 and uh, you know, the gospel was in Africa. Uh, the, 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 there were churches in Africa from the first century on. Uh, there were churches in Africa, um, all around Africa. And so we think of uh, Africa as we took it to them, you know, uh, in, late in the second millennium, but Believe me, Africans had the gospel. Some of the most famous theologians of the first few hundred years are Africans. Um, so they had the gospel, and they had the they had the the church. They had churches, and um, from the very beginning. And this is uh, no doubt um, the the first missionary to uh, modern day Sudan. Was, I forgot the name of the city, Moreau or something like that. Was the name of this the city where Candace and the and, and that kingdom was centered. Um, uh, let me let me close the story, then we'll we'll pray and end here. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He asked at the end of thirty six, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So he has received the message so that he has this joy that he, has, he, has no, he knows who the Messiah is. He knows who the Savior is. He knows what God is doing in the world. And he has a message to take back to, to Moreau, take back south into Africa. Uh, back to the court of Candace, 
Um, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. And that, it seems like it's saying that he was whisked away and removed from that spot and appeared like he was placed by God in this other spot. We don't know what that looked like, how that happens, if it's, if it's uh, you know, disappeared here, appeared. Uh, we don't know what happened, but God did something miraculous there, and he appears at Azotus, and, uh, and then he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, which basically means this, that he was down here um, near the coast over here, Jerusalem being over here. He's down here, down here around, around here, as you would head down into Africa, down this way. And now he's heading up the coast, and Caesarea is up here. And then he ends up in Caesarea, which later is Philip's home, is where Philip lives, so it may have always been his hometown where he was just sort of going back home. But as he goes up and as he travels to Caesarea where he's headed, he just preaches the gospel up the coast, uh, places that people had never heard it before. He tells them about Jesus and the message of, of Jesus' death and resurrection and his rule. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say that, interestingly, but we'll but we assume it because of the teaching in the rest of the New Testament that if he was if he had put his faith in Jesus and been baptized then he has received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say he spoke in tongues or had manifestations, although he could have. Just because it doesn't say it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But, there's, but based on the theology of the New Testament, he had to have received the Holy Spirit at that point if he'd repented and been baptized, uh, even though it doesn't, the text doesn't say. Yeah. Oh, right. And here, Philip just preaches to him, and he's, yeah, yeah, and then sends him on his way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would be, I would love to see, I would love to see the ministry, to learn, when I get to heaven, I'm going to learn more about the ministry of, of that eunuch uh, and, and the Sudan and what happened and what it was like when he shared the gospel with other people.